The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. Now behold, two of them, that is the disciples, were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And so it was that while they were conversing and reasoning with one another, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that this was he of whom uh, it was spoken that he would redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things have happened. Yes, and certain women of our company arrived at the tomb early. They've astonished us. They did not find his body. They came saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went to stay with, went in to stay with them. And now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how he had been known to them in the breaking of bread. And now it was at As they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit or a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they were still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate it in their presence. Let's pray.
O God, whose blessed Son made Himself known to His disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith that we may see Him in all of His redeeming work, who lives and reigns with You in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. He has risen. It is a joyous thing to stand on this side of Easter. And it is a joyous thing to speak of our Lord's presence in our midst. It's a joyous thing to speak of Him living in our hearts by faith. It is a joyous thing to speak of His presence with us in a spiritual sense. That He is with us in spirit, though He is not now with us in flesh. But it is a mistake that we make in the church in many quarters where we think of His risenness as being merely a spiritual thing. Merely kind of a theological concept that He is yet with us though He died. In fact, it's a mistake on our part typically when we think of life beyond our death, we think of ourselves merely as existing forever, spiritually. But the hope of the gospel is resurrection. Anything short of that is not a full gospel. It's, it's interesting. We hear of churches proclaiming a full gospel, and we typically think of that as bread. And He comes to us in the terrible. It's fascinating when we read this account of what happened to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, it's interesting. They leave the disciples, the the eleven, and the women who are with them, and they're traveling to Emmaus from Jerusalem, and their worlds have been turned upside down. Their lives have suddenly been filled with tragedy. They are experiencing something that is indeed terrible. In fact, when Jesus, they don't know it's Him, the Scriptures say that their eyes were kind of covered. They were restrained and therefore could not recognize Him. But Jesus comes along and He's walking with these two and He says, what is it you guys are talking about? They said, you're kidding me. Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? You don't know what's happened? And he pushes them further. What are you talking about? What has happened? Please do tell. The irony is that they're the ones that don't understand what has happened and he's the only one that knows what has really happened. And they said, good grief. Jesus of Nazareth, we thought he was the Messiah. He was a prophet. There was no question. He did amazing things and he said amazing things. He... And He did it before God and He did it before us. He he didn't hide anything. He showed us amazing wonders and we were convinced that He was the Messiah. But He was betrayed and He was handed over and He was killed. He was dead. And now, we can't even find His body. It's three days later And the tomb is empty. But Jesus is nowhere to be found. 
We don't know what has happened. This is a terrible story in their minds. They thought he was the one. He was the one who was going to save Israel. He was the one who was going to reestablish the kingdom. He was the one who was going to throw the Romans out of Israel's land, was going to reestablish the kingdom, and he was going to sit upon the throne of his father David. He was the one. And he was killed. His life ended in tragedy. This is a terrible story for these two disciples. And not only that, now they, they can't even offer Him a proper burial because they buried Him and His body's been taken. This is not good news for these two disciples. We've got the name of one, Cleopas. Life for these disciples and life for all disciples is filled with tragedy. It's filled with disappointment. It's filled with things not turning out how, quite how we hoped they had, would turn out. Life sometimes is terrible. It has terrible news. Terrible turns of events. Are you the only stranger in all of Jerusalem? You don't know what's happened? Into the terrible, though, Jesus brings the tangible. In fact, not just the tangible, He makes Himself tangible. This is the way of grace. This is how God always works. He always makes Himself tangible. He tells them quite literally, when, he, when these disciples realize what has happened and they run back to Jerusalem, back to the eleven, something has happened. We've met Jesus. He shows up and the Scriptures say that still yet they don't believe. And it says they don't believe because of joy which is kind of an odd concept. They are just overrun by excitement. And nothing makes sense. He was dead. We buried Him. That's the end. Sure, His spirit might have lived on, but He was dead and buried, and His body is no longer in the tomb. What in the world has happened? And here Jesus shows up. And they're, they're filled with joy. But they're also filled with concern. What in the world's going on? Is this His Spirit? Are we seeing a ghost here? He's going to stick around and haunt us maybe? And He tells them, it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. He says, you think you've seen a ghost? I am no ghost. Here, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Here, touch me. He even says, handle my wounds. In other words, I am tangible. You can touch me. You can feel me. It was fascinating that in the breaking of bread, these two disciples said, He broke 
bread and our eyes were opened. It is in the breaking of bread that they realized the Lord's presence. See, Easter is not just about an empty tomb. It is about a resurrected Lord. An empty tomb alone does nothing for our faith. It might even make our despair worse. Great. Someone's stolen our Lord's body. But the resurrected Lord, when He shows up, He brings hope. And He brings a promise of what is to come. And that that is to come is something that is actually tangible. He steps into our terrible and He brings the tangible. His hands, His wounds, His scars, His side where the spear pierced Him. He comes breaking bread. He comes eating food. He realizes they still don't buy it. So He says, you've got anything to eat. Just make yourself at home, Jesus. Jesus was kind of rude according to our standards and customs. Uh, You know, we would say that's impolite. Jesus says, do you have anything to eat? So they give Him, of all things, some broiled fish. It even tells us how that fish was cooked. Broiled fish and honeycomb. So he sits down and he eats. That's that's crazy stuff. The gospel, I'm, I'm growing convinced, I've been thinking about this for the last several weeks, but I'm growing convinced that if the gospel doesn't make us sometimes scratch our heads or sometimes make us say, really? I wonder if we're really hearing the gospel. The tomb is empty. His body is gone. His body shows back up, can be touched, can be felt, can cook food, can consume food, and yet He also just shows up in the room out of nowhere. At some points, he can be recognized and the disciples know exactly who they're seeing. Thomas cries out, My Lord and my God. And think of the, the, the bad rap Thomas gets, doubting Thomas. He's the one that declares, it, and God always uses those, those type of, of folks that we like to look down upon. You remember Nathaniel uh, from, from the first part of John's Gospel? Really, you guys are telling me that the Christ has come from Nazareth? (laughs) Yeah, right. Like, that's going to happen. But then when Jesus shows up, Nathaniel cries out, You are the Christ. Thomas, we look at him and we think, Man, he's one that's doubting. Well, the others are still hiding out in the room for fear, though they've seen the risen Lord. And Thomas cries out, My Lord and my God. Why weren't those words in the mouths of the others? Our 
our minds ought not be able to think that the resurrection is something simple and something, oh, it's easy to understand. Yeah, death isn't the end. We live on. The resurrection is mind-blowing. Even in the Apostles' Creed, we say, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We don't just believe in immortality, that we'll just live on after death. We believe that God will raise up our bodies just as He raised up Jesus's. A A different body, but the same. Transformed, glorified, but still His physical body. Showing up into rooms out of nowhere seemingly, but able to be touched. Not dying and in need of sustenance, but able to eat. The shocking mystery of the resurrection ought to perplex us. But God always makes Himself tangible to us. We cannot capture Him and hold Him. But as the Apostle Paul says, He makes Himself so close to us, longing for us to just reach out and touch Him, to grasp Him in some way. So He makes Himself tangible. All of, you know, we speak of the means of grace. At least John Wesley did. And, you know, most of the church speaks of the means of grace. But those means of grace, the spiritual disciplines, those things that God has given to us so that we can grow in Christ and so that we can come to know Him, all of those things are tangible things. We read our scriptures, we bow our heads, close our eyes, clasp our hands, or fold our hands, and we pray. Perhaps we kneel, perhaps we don't. We go to church. We interact with Christian brothers and sisters. We sing praises to God. We do good works for those in need. We love our neighbor as ourselves. We care for the poor. We receive the elements of communion. We give ourselves in the sacrament of baptism. All those things are tangible things. Things that can be touched. Things that can be felt. This is how God works. And so Easter is not about the ridding of our bodies. It is about the resurrection of the body. It's not about just living forever after we die. It's about death being undone. The curse of death being defeated through death. And the curse of death therefore being turned around. This one who bears wounded hands and bears broken bread, He comes to us in the terrible. He comes bringing the tangible and He comes a table at the table where we receive the bread and we receive the cup 
we are mindful that it is His table and we participate in His meal. We call it the Lord's Supper. For it is His. And as a gracious host, He meets us there. He doesn't simply say, I won't be there, but you go ahead and go in and make yourself at home. He welcomes us to His table. He welcomes us to receive His meal. He says to us, This is My body which is broken for you. And this cup is the new covenant of My blood which is shed for the remission of your sins. The table is not just something we approach. It's not just something we do for the sake of tradition. Receiving the meal is not just something, well, the church has done it for 2,000 years, so we might as well continue it. It is a way in which God has made Himself tangible to us through humble elements. It is a meal of remembrance and proclamation, not just some dead memory, but because of His living presence. Those scars remind us of injuries. It's amazing that Christ, post-resurrection, now you got to think, this is His glorified body. His body has been transformed. It's still His body. It still can be touched. It still can be felt. It still can handle food and ingest food. But He draws attention to His wounds. When Thomas said, I will not believe it because the dead do not rise from the dead. I will not believe it unless I see His hands, unless I see His feet, unless I put my own fingers in His side where the spear stabbed Him. Jesus walks in and says, Thomas, my hands, my feet, here, touch these wounds. He is risen, yet scarred. Scars remind us of our wounds. And the scars of Jesus remind us of the wounds of our redemption. Salvation did not come at some cheap price. Salvation was not some cheap behind closed doors exchange between God and the devil. It came at the price of blood. It came at the price of suffering. The God who created us stepped into His creation, became a part of it, and chose to bleed and die to redeem us. Scarred hands typically we associate with laborious work. You know, a man with scarred hands, with calluses on his hands, with Beaten up knuckles, we think he's a hard worker. He labors. He works the ground. He works with machines. He works with his hands. 
And isn't it fitting that our Lord says, Look at my hands. They have worked for your redemption. They have toiled for your salvation. Jesus' resurrected body bears the scars of His redemptive work. He has redeemed us. He has redeemed us by hurting for us. The prophet Isaiah said that by His stripes or His wounds, His scars, we are healed. Bread reminds us of sustenance or life, especially in the ancient world. Bread meant food. To speak of bread meant we have food to eat. Jesus taught His disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, sustain us. Give us food to eat. In the ancient world, Bread meant food and therefore it meant life. Life could be lived another day if there was another loaf to eat. That bread was broken. And yet in its brokenness, it offers life. When our Lord says, this is my body which is broken for you, take and eat. He gives us an offer to sustain us. The one who has washed us in baptism, the one who has redeemed us, the one to whom we have given our lives and ourselves and said, He is my Lord. He says, you need food for the journey. You need something to sustain you. And so He offers us bread. Even in the making of bread, there is brokenness and there is death. You remember Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. To make bread, you don't just get some wheat and throw it in a bowl with some water and end up with bread. You have to grind it into power. You have to destroy the wheat. You have to break it in order to find life through it. The broken bread reminds us of our Lord's body which was broken for us. His redemptive work. And He invites us to the table. And as the psalmist said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We ought to be reminded that this table is here in this world. We are invited to it today, here and now. Knowing what all we're going through, knowing what tragedies happened this past week, 
knowing what disappointments we're trying to stomach right now, not knowing what lies ahead. Sometimes in the midst of the terrible, He invites us to His table and He gives us something tangible. And He says, take and eat. It's a mystery. As the philosopher Peter Crave says, He does not tell us, take and understand. He says, take and eat. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies, in the midst of life, in the midst of suffering and pain. He says, come and dine. He comes bearing wounded hands for our redemption. He comes offering broken bread for our sustenance. And before we approach His table, before we partake of the tangible, we ought to consider the terrible. I want you to ask yourself a question this week. Into whose broken world Are you, am I, bearing the life-giving presence of Jesus? Because His offer is not just to us only. God is not satisfied with the folks who have entered this room. Not because there's something lacking on your part. You're good enough folks. But He wants more. He wants more to bear the name of His Son. He wants more to receive the life-giving offer of His Son, Jesus. And so, into whose broken worlds are we going? Where are we taking Jesus? Are we just taking Him to church on Sundays? If so, shame on us. Or are we carrying Him, the one with wounded hands, the one who offers broken bread, are we carrying Him to those who are starving, to those who are disappointed, to those who are angry? And that ought to be in a tangible way. Not in word only, but in word and deed. To bear the life-giving presence of Jesus to others is more than just posting a verse of Scripture on our Facebook walls. And it's more than saying, oh, they're there, I'm praying for you. Sometimes we do need to be there, there, and tell folks that we are praying for them. But certainly there's more to being the presence of Jesus to others. There's more to bearing His presence, His life-giving presence 
into the brokenness of others. Certainly there's more than just saying we'll pray for someone. He bears wounded hands and he bears broken bread. And he says, let's have something to eat. Let's pray. Father, we come to you.